Welcome back, baseball fans, to episode, I guess, 33 of the Banished to the Pen podcast, the audio component of the website Banished to the Pen, a group baseball blog of fans of the Effectively Wild podcast. I am your host, Ryan Sullivan, editor-in-chief of NatsGM.com and the Baron of All Baseball Podcasts. This week's show is um, a little bit different from the norm. We have one guest this week, but I'm very proud to have him on. He is the Director of Broadcast and Media Relations, I hope that got that right, and the play-by-play announcer for the Sonoma Stompers, Tim Livingston. Tim, welcome to the Banish to the Pen podcast. I, I feel honored, Ryan. This is, uh, this is really neat. I mean, of course, I got turned on to Banish to the Pen um, you know, about a year ago, I'd say, obviously, when um, I reached out to Sam initially about the Stompers, and um, this is really cool to kind of see you guys in action, and I've been working with you and Ken all summer uh, on the archives for the Stompers, so it's it's great to be on here and, and, uh, and be a part of this podcast. Well, we want to thank you uh, in return for, you know, being such a, a fan and, um, you know, just for your work and for coming on this week, so thank you. Uh, first place we yeah, got of course. First place we got to start is um, recapping the Stomper season. You know, I think many of us that are listening to this have a pretty general idea of how they did this year. But uh, fill us in: how the Stompers right. do in 2015? Well, I mean, it was a successful year. Um, it wasn't probably the ultimate success that I think a lot of us were hoping for with with Ben and Sam coming on. And you know, and they'll probably be the first to tell you that in some ways. But knowing knowing how they think about the game and, and I think how we all think about the game, uh, we, we're still very happy with what happened this season. Um, we ran away with the first half. We were by far the best team in the league. Um, we were very much akin to a Blue Jay-style offense. Uh, you know, WRC Plus as a team was 125 in the first half we were around that 125 mark basically the entire first half best on base best slugging best ops um we were very very good at the plate um a lot of power and not just you know home run power but gap power uh we were very good on the bases very efficient we had a very good defense and you know our pitching wasn't the best in the league but our defense behind us you know really helped the pitching and um, we we really just you know had a huge start. We went eighteen and three to begin the season, and then we just kind of coasted to that first half championship. Won that on July the twelfth when we beat Vallejo thirteen to four. The second half was a little different. Uh, we had you know six players uh, eventually once the end of the season uh, came that moved up to a higher league of independent baseball. And so the second half was kind of a scramble to put together a team that would be, um, you know, up to par in this league, uh, especially with a couple of the teams uh, really starting to come into their own in the middle of July and into August, San Rafael, especially uh, the Pacifics, I should say, who are kind of the stalwarts of the league. And so uh, by the end of the season, it was us and the Pacifics, and the Pacifics kind of ran away with it. And they took the second half, which forced a one-game championship uh, on August the 31st. And it was one of the most exciting games um, that you know I've ever been a part of maybe the most exciting and there was some controversy which uh, i won't get into here and in fact that's a that's a better story told for the book um (laughs) but i will also say that it was a uh, a game that unfortunately ended with the stompers losing uh on a walk-off in the ninth Mm. but 
the way it got to that part just in the first place is a tremendous story. Um, but that's something I want Ben and Sam to tell. However, if you guys are interested, as I said, uh, you guys are hosting that game. And so if you are interested in listening to that game, it is available in the archives uh, on the Banch of the Pen website. Yeah, I encourage everybody to go check that out. I've definitely listened to some parts of the game. And like you said, it's heartbreaking to hear. Um, maybe for some that aren't familiar, who were some of yeah. your kind of better players or your, you know, let's call your stars? so to speak. Yeah. So we had a player named Joel Carranza who um, was initially drafted uh, by the uh, Tampa Bay Rays and did not sign back in, I believe it was 2008. And um, he's from Florida, Pembroke Pines, so a suburb, suburb of the South Florida, you know, St. Pete, uh, not St. Pete, pardon me, Fort Lauderdale, Miami area. And um, he was a returning player from 2014, uh, set the league record for home runs with 19 that season. And he got off to a quote-unquote slow start uh, in 2014, but in reality it was slow because there were so many great players on our team that him not having like a, you know, a 350, 450, 600, you know, triple slash out the gate was uh, was a little bit a uh, little bit strange. However, by the time he did leave, he had numbers approaching that. He was, I think, three fifty, about four hundred, five fifty, uh, and he had nine home runs. Uh, but he was a guy that uh, really stood out as a player that just started getting into that group. And once he did, uh, he went up to a higher league. Um, we got a, a great surprise um, in a catcher in Isaac Wenrick, who was with the uh, Vallejo, the Admirals, the last two years. He was a guy who really came on strong um, uh, for the Admirals in 2014, and he went and tried out for, I believe, Sioux City in the American Association, uh, did not make the team, and um, and our GM, Theo Fightmaster, was in contact with him, and he knew about Ben and Sam, and he was like, I'd love to be here for this, and he just showed up to spring training training he's like hey i'm on my way i, I want to i want to try out for this team made it was by far the best catcher in the league this year um and then he went on to the frontier league so you're noticing a pattern here with all these players um you know and and we had some great pitching too obviously sean conroy his story which has been uh so tremendous it's a hall of fame worthy story now he was one of our best pitchers this year a second half we had this great pitcher named santo saldivar from pasadena texas who played at southern university and was the best pitcher in the league in the second half dylan stoops was the best left-handed pitcher in this league um you know and we and we had guys like uh, matt hibbert who was definitely the best center fielder in this league i mean we had mark hurley who was a rookie who turned out to be a phenomenal offensive player for us all season long daniel baptista another guy who at first base was a rookie who played so well all year long we had a just a cavalcade of guys who really knew what to do out there and it really showed um by season's end when you saw the promotions and you saw the numbers of some of these guys who uh oh and i, I can't i cannot leave out yuki yasuda who um, when we lost Sergio Miranda and he ended up going up to the Can-Am League and leading the league and hitting, we were like, we need to fill in at second base. And Yuki, who wowed us in spring training, came out and was one of the best overall players in the league. And I think he ended up leading, I'd have to take a look here, he ended up leading our team in WRC Plus uh, by season's end. And, you know, he's a he's a he's a, a gap to gap second baseman who can uh, really draw a walk and, and, and play good defense. So it, it was just up and down we just had guys who knew how to how to play and it was really fun to see well and you're giving me a good segue here because you've mentioned a few times about promotions and it sounds like you've lost a lot of players can you just talk about first of all what is the 
what is the promotion process? Where do they go? And kind of the chain effect uh, of Indie Bowl, I think I, I certainly can't speak to the hierarchy or any of that. I think that would be fascinating. Sure. It's essentially a trade. So the idea is that there are higher leagues and they all have, you know, 22, 25 man rosters, depending on where you are. I think they're all 22 actually in Indie Bowl. Um, but the idea is that they're checking in on players from our league, which is lower, you know, lower league, lower on the totem pole, but it's still respected. And they basically say, you know, we're interested in so and so. And um, the idea is it's an opportunity to get them a chance to play at a higher level. Uh, and normally there's some type of trade, whether it's cash or other team needs, you know, the, the future considerations tag is thrown out around, you know, but I mean, you know, it's it's definitely, you know, you know, team bats or team baseballs. It's like that stuff comes into play here in indie ball and everybody's okay with it. Um but yeah, so the promotions to the higher leagues include the Canadian American Association, so the Can Am League, which is a northeast based league. Uh you have the Atlantic League, which is, you know, based on the Atlantic coast. Uh, you have the Frontier League, which is kind of a – we have an age limit, and they're associated with players who, if they're young enough that they could still be considered prospects, you can get into that league and do well. Uh, and then the Can-Am Association, which is kind of the big wig when it comes to, um, uh, you know, the highest level of indie ball, uh, the American Association, I should say me 14 teams uh they play all across the midwest up into the northwest and uh, they and into texas as well so they have a huge amount of teams uh in in this area and that's kind of like the top level of of uh, of of uh, of indie ball uh in, in you know and and them in the atlantic and the can-am and the frontier uh those are kind of the, the leagues that our guys are shooting for depending on how young they are you know it, it, you know things of that nature so uh that that's kind of the process is a guy calls us we want this guy you know we obviously want them to move on because it's good for them it's it's good for the team, you know, and we make it happen. Uh, and we either get a play in return like we did with Isaac Wenrick, where we got Matt Rubino, a catcher who went to UNC. Um, and, uh, and you know, or, or we get uh, cash considerations to, you know, help us out budgetary-wise. Or, uh, you know, we do get some bats because bats, people forget, you know, these guys don't get paid much. And so bats are uh, kind of a, a thing that you know players need obviously and if they're getting down to the nitty-gritty at the end of the season and they don't have enough bats well you know we need to come up with something so uh there's some very odd trades that happen not just with the stompers and other teams uh but just all across independent baseball what is the craziest uh currency you've heard traded for um for a player no, I've just heard bats. I mean, I haven't heard like uh, I haven't heard the fame, you know, like in semi-pro where uh, they trade uh, for uh, for for a moxon with a uh, a washing machine. I have not heard that. Um, you know, I haven't heard anything along those lines. But it's basically like um, there will be a thing of bats sent our way. Um, I have not heard anything like weirder than that and if there is then that might be like between two good friends who are like uh who've been in contact with each other in a league for a long time or like oh i could trade you for so and so like a nice dinner or something i don't know i i, I can't even speculate on that but um so they're not know, i i just know that we had definitely we definitely had players traded for bats before so they're not filling up your soda machine for three so. years like in moneyball <laughs> no, no, we have not done the soda machine yet. Although that is something that I'm sure has been brought up. Like, you know, in Theo Fightmaster, who's our general manager, um, 
you know, you're not just aware of the players on the field, but you're aware of the entire business process when it comes to independent ball. And so I'm sure he's had conversations where it's like, well, we need, you know, we need this. We need this for our concessions. I'm sure that has come up, but uh, I won't speak on Theo's behalf too much. But uh, I would not be surprised if there have been at least some trade proposals that have been, you know, have been a little bit off the wall. That's definitely that's definitely a possibility. Well, and now I think it's time to turn to Ben and Sam. Um, I'm amazed we've made sure. it this long, frankly, without mention, really getting into it. But, uh, you know, I don't even know where to start. But uh, when it was announced that they were going to be part of, you know, the organization, kind of what were your immediate thoughts? Well, so I'll give a quick background on the story. Um, so the idea was back in uh, about August of last year, um, Ben and Sam had an episode, and I can't remember the number of it. I, I need, to, I should know that like off the top of my head. Um, but uh, they had an episode where Sam was talking about independent baseball and how they that him and Ben had never been to a game, and so Sam just like half-heartedly like looked up, oh, where's a Bay Area independent baseball team? And he found the Pacific Association, and he found the Pacifics. And um, I didn't listen to the show when it first came out that morning. I'd kind of been listening off and on because I was in the middle of the stomper season and I wasn't a regular listener at that point. But, you know, I was obviously reading their stuff and, and I really enjoyed the, the podcast when I did listen to it. But my friend, who is a big time fan of the show as well, his name's Elliot Paisley. And he's actually this this will be a fan of our, our beer drinking uh, uh, listeners. He is um, the first data they call him a data wizard at Lagunitas Brewing Company here in Petaluma, so just over the hill from Sonoma. And he says, you know, Sam is looking for a place to go see a game. I'm like, really? And I email him immediately. <laughs> Sam, as he's prompt to do with most emails, gets back and says, I'd love to come out to a game. I just say, you let me know. And so he follows Theo around. He has that great story. If you guys haven't read the story, it was when he came out to Dusty Baker Night last year. It's on Baseball Perspectives. It's a free uh, article. Go back and read it. And he did a great story on the Stompers. And I guess he had a, a talk with Theo about how him and, and Ben had the idea. I was like, we want to run this thing. We would love to come on. We have some ideas. And you guys were so nice to us. We really want to make this happen. And so Theo was like, yes, please. Um, and it was with our old ownership, who also owns the Pacifics, that agreed to it initially. And so that ownership changed like right after the agreement was made. Eric Galata, who is a local a CPA and lawyer here in Sonoma, bought the team. And he was still on board with it. And so I heard in February, I was just checking in with Theo because I hadn't heard in a bit. And I just wanted to see if there's anything he wanted to get ramped up for the season. And he's like, there's a big announcement soon. And it has to do mainly with something you did. And I was like, what? What are you talking about? <laughs> Two days later, the Baltimore Orioles preview podcast comes out. And the greatness that has been and Sam announced that they are officially writing the book on the stompers and going to be part of the baseball operations department. And I about lost it. I thought it was like, <laughs> I was just, Oh God, it was great. And so like, I obviously had, you know, big things and I watched them set up sports vision for pitch effects and hit effects and all this great stuff. And they showed me the bat system, which they were going to use to help them scout and track pitches on the road. And, um, 
you know, my expectations were such that I, I, you know, I wanted to be working in tandem with them. And it ended up kind of being one of those things where they had some great resources that they'll talk about in the book. But um, to work alongside those guys and, and bounce things off of them, you know, uh, you know, there will be some great moments that they'll talk about in the book. But just overall, um, it, it was it was a great season. And, you know, you know, I've had good discussions with both Ben and Sam about how it was just a great experience for everybody involved and um it you know there are obviously things that i'm sure i think we all were like well we could have done this differently you know just because you know hindsight being 2020 uh but it was just a great experience and i i, I couldn't have been happier to do it uh uh with those guys uh you know and that wasn't the biggest part of it i mean i was a guy who reached out and said i'd love to use the statue guys are using in the broadcast and so people who did listen to it know i was talking our wrc plus woba uh i was talking fip i was you know talking all these things that don't get brought up in broadcasts and i was so happy to be doing it that it was you know just that aspect alone if i got nothing else uh just to be able to do that was was just tremendous and i got a lot more than that and so um i couldn't have been happier with what happened this summer so how drastically did things change for the Stompers? I mean, it, you mentioned uh, a couple of resources already, but did it go from very little technology, very little, I mean, having a radar gun? I mean, what was it like in 2014, I guess, versus what was it like this season with, I guess, Ben and Sam's influence? It was it was a jump. And, you know, we didn't have much on the technological side. Um, uh, we didn't have much on the video side. Uh, and so we had TV games that were taped, but we didn't always have the best angles. It was it was definitely an up upgrade, and we really we we were very excited to see just how this information got used. And I mean, every day we had players looking at tape of their swings and pitchers looking at tape of their pitching, and uh, we were, I was looking at the stats, the database that was updated every day. Um, you know, and they had some guys helping them out like i said that they'll kind of go into the specifics because i don't even know all the specifics i know some um but it was it, it was just a, a huge upgrade all this information you know that sam and ben would pass on to the to the manager you know whether it was phelan or whether it was you know yoshi and figuring out where's where's the best to to to, to kind of do things shifting which they'll get into which was really cool stuff uh, i mean there there was a lot of technology that was used to really assist the team and it helped things out a lot to the point where you know we have you know we have some luck 18 and 3 you don't all get there by talent but you have some luck but you 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 really had a team that was based in a an approach and 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 a concept that you know while there was definitely some influence it was a little it was definitely different than last year and so i i think that there was it was an addition and you know sam and ben always like to quantify like um how much do you think we helped or something like that and i was like i think you got you know i don't know how to quantify it but you guys definitely have changed things in a positive way like I, I definitely don't think it was a negative the fact that you gave these guys all this information, but they'll talk about the process and all that. I just think that, you know, having that much technology and knowing what to do with it was was really cool, and I, I think that it did help the team. I think it was something that was, uh, you know, a, a big feather in our cap, so to speak. How did the and I use technology as a catch-all phrase, but how did the technology compare? 
you guys versus other teams in 2014 versus kind of in the middle to end of the season in 2015? Were you competitive with them? Um, nobody, nobody had the technology we did. Nobody. There's nobody in our league that had it. I mean, we had nobody had pitch effects. I mean, the Pacifics had it for two games because they did the um, robot umpire thing with Eric Burns. Uh, oh, that's people right. might remember that. Yeah. But they didn't use it to track data. They didn't use it to um, uh, create a database of you know things like pitching and you know like pitch speeds and 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 all that stuff pitch tracking you know tendencies you know all the stuff that we were able to get from the technology had now is that something that all teams in this league can get i don't think so like that you know and they'll talk about how they got some of that stuff but you know ben and sam being ben and sam this being a book you know they have you know the ability to 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 get some stuff that a lot of teams in this league can't get because of the fact that you know, it's expensive stuff. And, um, and that was my next know, question talk is, about, is how did they yeah. get that equipment? Was it Ben and Sam putting up the money themselves, donations, people yeah. wanting them to try I mean, this I don't, at, I don't, at that level? I actually don't know what was given, what, you know, stuff like that. So, um, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll talk about that a bit more. Um, I just know that we had it and it was, it was really just like, I, I, I still, I remember tweeting just like, there's pitch effects at Arnold Field, which is a municipal field made back just after or just before the end of, of World War II that has been in Sonoma for 75 years. That is a football field on one half and a baseball field, basically the entirety of the field. And there's a pitch effects camera system in our park. Sports Vision set it up. I, I was there when they set it up, and I still can't believe it happened. Like I still can't believe that those things are operational in in Arnold Field. It's it's just insane. Um, <laughs> and I you know, and and I think that at some point there there might be a, uh, an onus on teams to have that type of technology, and maybe you know Sports Vision or some of the other places out there that do it. Uh, seeing an opportunity, maybe they'll they'll try and outfit the league or, or come up with an idea league wide to get this installed. Um, but uh, you know, at the at the, this point, quote unquote, there's an advantage for the Stompers having it to, in in their league or in their in their parks, I should say. And my next question for you is, and I don't know how to phrase this again properly, but how involved were Ben and Sam? Were they making every decision from player personnel down to the lineup? How, how involved were they? No, they were very involved. Um, I'm not sure about some of the specifics when it comes to, you know, lineup. But, I mean, I had plenty of conversations with them that were, um, you know, around basically all facets of the game uh, in, you know, talking about shifting or talking about, you know, certain players being in the lineup or certain pitchers being used, you know, I mean, but they were involved in every decision. I mean, they were talking with Theo on a daily basis when it came to bringing in players. They had their ideas. They had their guys be, that they, you know, had on their list, uh, you know, that they wanted to bring in. So they were very involved um, in different areas. Um, you know, Sam was very much – he was the director of scouting and he was the guy who was doing a lot more advanced, you know, I actually didn't say more, but he was doing a lot of advanced scouting away from the team. 
um, at the beginning of the season. And then once the season kind of went on and we had enough data on guys, uh, they both kind of ended up being at the games and for all the Stompers games. So, um, you know, Sam, Sam would normally be kind of in the dugout or, um, you know, doing some on-field stuff. Ben would be uh, running bats, which is the the computer system that uh, tracks pitches and stuff like that. So, um, it, you know, they were definitely involved. Like they were involved to a huge degree. And when it came to the front office decisions, they were right there on everything, basically. So, and they'll, and you know, and like I said, I wasn't privy to a lot of it, but they were really involved with with all facets of the organization and uh it's it's going to be cool to kind of see how their interactions kind of drove some of the decision making and i'm very interested to see some of the stuff behind the scenes that they write about uh, not sure what they're going to get into um how much they're going to get into it uh but just overall i'm very excited to see uh what happens now, what was it like for you going from a fan of the podcast, like so many of us are that are listening to this, and then you're working with Sam and Ben at a table, you know, working with them on a daily basis? What was that like, and were they kind of exactly like you thought they would be? Were they different? What, did, what was that like? If Sam and Ben were different, how different would my friendship with them be? Uh, let's see here. No, it's it's awesome. They, they you know... Uh, they, they were kind of apprehensive at first to an extent because they wanted to find their footing. But I mean, then they just became coworkers and it was really cool. Like, uh, you know, I, I was, I was very like, Oh my God, like you guys, <laughs> like I met them back at spring, not spring training, but our tryout back on March 14th. And, uh, you know, I got to talk with them a lot and, um, the, you know, just kind of get a feel for them and, uh, it was it was very cool. Like to it was it's kind of like uh, it, it it was it, it was one of those things where for me just hearing them and and reading Ben's work for for so long and Sam's work for so long just like it's like you know you guys are one of the reasons why I'm I'm back in school like doing what I'm doing. You guys are you know I reached out to Sam because of the fact that you know I was like oh my god what an opportunity this would be for the Stompers and for him. Uh, to 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 kind of see like this this idea of indie ball, which he was which he was obviously interested in from when I heard that one podcast, and then all of a sudden it just turned into what it did. And uh, you know, they were both very nice. They were both very you know you know they were very open to to you know suggestion. They were guys that loved just bouncing stuff and and hearing things. And um, you know they they they, they had to pull rank, which I totally understand. Uh, but uh, I'll say this: they're they're two guys that uh, let's say they want to write a sequel. I want them to write a sequel. I would love to work with those guys again. That's very cool. Did you get to see Ben eat the burrito from the middle out? No. So <laughs> what was really interesting, though, and and I'll tell this story because I don't think I ended up telling Ben this story. But um, La, you know, La Taqueria, which won the Grantland Best Burrito Contest uh, last year. Um, it's down there in San Francisco. And so I took Sean down to an interview he did um, for an LGBT show uh, in, uh, in in San Francisco. And I told him, I was like, we got to go to La Taqueria because it's the best burrito ever. And I stand in line and I told him the story about Ben eating the burrito <laughs> from the middle out. And he was just like, interesting. And so we get in the car and we're about to pull out and, and, and drive back to Sonoma. And all of a sudden I look over and there's Sean Conroy eating a burrito from the middle out. And he's just like, 
huh, this makes sense. It was really interesting. Um, I'll tell you what, man. It's uh, it's still a great story. Um, there's also a great, uh, and we have we have uh, we had some really cool just like inside jokes, and I don't know if they'll get into them in the book because it probably doesn't fit the narrative of what they're trying to do. But yeah, I mean that was a joke that was told many a times uh, throughout the season. Um, poor Ben, but uh, it was. It was it was it was pretty cool. That was I was like, oh man, it actually someone actually tried it. It was <laughs> and it like it actually worked. So guys, um, two sources now, right? So all you journalists out there, I have the source in Ben that says it works. Sam confirmed it. Sean ate it that way. He said it. He said it worked. I can confirm that. So I think the middle out to burrito eating. I think we can make this something, guys. I really do. <laughs> well, besides inventing a new way to eat a burrito, uh, I do want to ask if what was kind of the biggest thing, if you can share it, that you learned from your experience with Ben and Sam this year? Was it the value of shifting or pitch framing or kind of what was the biggest thing you learned this summer? <sighs> the biggest thing I learned this summer? Um, I, I almost want to just say how the sauce is made to an extent. Um I was so interested in how the database of stats was made and, and all that stuff, uh, how they used it. The application of this stuff, I think, was what was more interested than the results and, and how they went through the process of like, oh, we want to do this against this guy, we want to do this against this guy, how they're coming up with these reasons. The shifting is a big part. Um, but like, you know, why are they going to this infield alignment for this guy? Why are they deciding to pitch this way to a certain guy? You know, and they have like, oh, oh because we saw it. We have this data. It backs it up. Uh, that type of stuff, like the application of the data to me was huge. Like that showed that taught me a lot about how players like react to certain situations and how if you put them in, in certain situations, maybe they won't react that differently. And, and I think Sam, it, it's really funny. I think shifting's come up in a couple of podcasts since the end of the season. And I've heard him just say like certain things about shifting. And I'm like, I have a feeling he has some more like personal evidence on that based on the stompers. And he's mentioned it. He's like, I don't want to go into great detail. I think I've heard him say that once about something. I can't mm-hmm. remember what, but um, yeah, I mean, I just learned a lot about how the sauce was made and, and how the, the, the database that they had for stats and the database they collected from pitch effects and from bats and how they used it. It was interesting to me. It was just all of it was, um, the most important thing to me is how are you going to use this data? And they showed me how and the shifting, the the pitch sequencing, all this stuff, talking with catchers, talking with pitchers, talking about hitters, about how they're going to, uh, you know, kind of line themselves up against certain pitchers and how they're going to do well against them. Like just the application of all of it just wowed me. Now, is all that technology going to stick around for 2016 or does it kind of go the way of Ben and Sam? Um, well, it kind of depends on 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 what the implementation would be for next year, um, and and I think that's up on on Ben and Sam's radar more than mine. Uh, they basically will say if they have somebody who could come in and run it uh, and and things of that nature, but uh, or if they're going to come back and run it, I really I'm really not sure at this point. So uh, unfortunately, that's uh, that's probably something that uh, we'll have to wait till we get closer to the uh, season to start. And when does the book come out? I think maybe that's the final question I want to kind of ask you. I think I heard. Uh, 
I, I want to say in the spring of next year is what they're shooting for. Okay. Well, that's definitely something for all of us to look forward to next year. That's for sure. I was going to say, yeah, I, I think that's what they were saying. I think sometime around uh, spring of next year, I think that's what they're shooting for. So um, I, uh, I think they'll have official statements once the end of the year comes like actually end of 2015 they'll kind of have an idea but i think it was i think it was spring or summer of next year one of the two very cool very cool i know we're all looking forward to that and certainly everybody that's listening to this podcast is as well uh i I could ask you a bunch more questions but i think we need to save some of it for the book like you say and and i do want to transition a little bit and ask you just what it's like working as a play-by-play announcer and how you got into that a little bit if if you might just kind of speak on that yeah, no. Uh, so I got my start when I was twenty. I uh, um, here in Sonoma, a very small city, and I know you wanted to know a little bit about Sonoma, so I'll kind of give that background too as part of this. So it's a city of about ten thousand people, but it's encapsulated by this very beautiful valley that holds about twenty-five to thirty thousand people, and uh, so it's a, it's a relatively small community. And um, back in two thousand four. They had a, a local radio station startup that was community access based, public radio based, and um, they wanted to cover the local football games. And so I had interest in doing that. And so I went in and talked to the station manager and said I'd been covering uh, the football uh, games for the local newspaper for, for a couple of years. And um, I uh, just the JV, but I would really, really like this opportunity because it's what I'm going to school for. And so when I went to San Francisco, I actually would drive uh, San Francisco State, I just say, I would actually drive up an hour back to Sonoma for these games. And I did that for a couple of years for football, basketball, and baseball. And that's how I got my start in broadcasting. Um, and then I got my start in, in kind of pro baseball bot broadcasting in 2009. Uh, when I got a job with the Dunedin Blue Jays, so the high affiliate of the Florida yeah, State sure. League, and I got a chance to be their um, communications intern, but I also got to broadcast a few games. I did that for two years, and then I came back, and uh, I was looking for jobs on the West Coast uh, to be closer to family, but I couldn't find anything, unfortunately. And so I kind of just did the broadcasting stuff on the side for fun, and then the Stompers came around in, in 2014, and um, my name got thrown in the hat about a guy who you know should definitely do this because I'm local. I have the pro baseball experience, and so I just joined in, and it was it was really neat. And you know, um, you know, for a guy like me, uh, I'm doing all the production value as much as I can. I did reach out. Ryan was actually uh, on uh, on one of the the commercials that I ran this year um, when it came to to my broadcast. So um, it's just it's fun, and I was a one man show a lot of the time, although. Uh, Theo would come over. Uh, I had Sam and Ben uh, help out a couple times. Um, you know, it, it was it was fun. It, it's it was always fun. Um, it's it's actually something that by the end of the season, it kind of became the last thing I thought about. There was other things going, uh, you know, going around. Um, but it was interesting to me. I really enjoyed the 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 idea of 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 doing play by play again. And so now I've done it two years in a row. I'm not, you know. I'm still trying to figure out, depending on grad school, um, you know, next year, how that's going to work out with the Stomper season. Um, but, you know, I loved it. I love doing it. And if I get another chance to do it, I'm definitely going to jump at it. So uh, fingers crossed for year three. And, and what advice would you give to uh, you've done some professional baseball, uh, you know, yourself? What advice would you give to others that are trying to get into broadcasting? Well, I'll, I'll say this right away. Um, you know, 
know, you know, you know, get to know people who are, you know, if you can meet anybody who's in the industry, uh, you know, be in contact with them. Uh, for example, the reason I got the job with the Blue Jays, uh, at least the interview was because one of my good friends actually worked in ticketing for them, and he was at the winter meetings when I went in 2008 and he said, you should go after this job. There's not a true broadcasting component to it, but you have the background that maybe something will happen. Voila, something happened. Like you have to take advantage of every opportunity that's given to you. And um, I've spoken on this before to a couple of, of uh, people who've asked me, it's the, the idea behind being a probate, you know, like any broadcaster is, you, you know, learn from whoever is going to, um, you know, learn whoever's going to give you the, the time to, to teach you things. I mean, I, I got a chance to talk 15, 20 minutes with um, uh, Jerry Howarth of the Blue Jays, the radio play, play, play broadcaster who's been there for you know a couple decades. He gave me some great advice that I still use to this day. Um, you know, and take every opportunity you can. Do it for free for a while, and then if you can find a break, go after it if you really 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 want to do this it's a little bit different for me now but i mean back when i was just out of, of college i was looking for any break i could find which is why i went to the winter meetings and if you guys are interested in baseball the winter meetings is a great spot a great spot to network they have the job fair uh it's it's a lot of great openings there you can find kind of your niche if, if you're able to talk to the right people uh, so just you know, just use every resource you can. Stay in contact with people. Uh, do podcasts, no joke. Uh, you know, and, and then look around to like local radio stations or anything like that. If you live in a small town and um, and you can get your own broadcast going, that cuts down on production values for the station. Like uh, whatever you feel like you need to do to get your foot in the door, do it. And, and then uh, don't, you know, just don't give up on it. And, you know, and that's the thing. It's like the stompers literally fell into my lap. Like I was not even contemplating doing baseball broadcasting again, but it just happened to occur at a time in my life where I could do it and I couldn't be happier. So you, you never know when that opportunity is going to come around. You never do. That, that's great advice. Um, I, I got to ask you, I think most people on this podcast know that I'm a big wrestling fan. I, I've got to ask how you got yeah. into doing uh, announcing for in independent wrestling. I didn't know how somebody could actually yes. get that job. How do you how do you do that? How do you get there? So this is this is the funniest networking story ever. <laughs> so um, a couple years ago, my brother did um, some shooting for a documentary that's currently in editing uh, about competitive fighting game tournament so street fighter marvel versus capcom all this stuff and they have this big tournament called evo in las vegas that i went to a couple years ago one of the guys that pete follows um in this documentary his name is harrison young he works at capcom now and for the longest time he would stream these tournaments that would happen over in petaluma uh and they're uh these fighting game tournaments that would run monthly and he needed commentators for him. And while I wasn't good at Street Fighter at all, I obviously knew how to commentate. I knew the game. And so I was like, oh, yeah, no, I'll totally do this. <laughs> Turns out the guy who hosts the tournaments was interested in getting uh, a pro wrestling thing going on in Petaluma. And so he was like, Tim, I'd love for you to, to, to be the play-by-play -play guy. I was like, yeah, <laughs> I'd love to do it. Um and um, my friend Eric Ritz, who is my color guy, uh, I've known him for years. Uh, he also knew the owner uh, or of the of the spot where all the tournaments happen, and he was like, "We got to make this happen." I was like, "I agree." 
And so I was able to um, uh, join what they call Phoenix Pro Wrestling, which is at the Phoenix Theater in Petaluma, this whole kind of punk theater uh, that's had plenty of great shows over the years. And now um, is, you know, quarterly, annually, I should say, uh, doing shows. And we actually have a show next Friday, September 25th, um, I'm sure most of the bands of the Penn listeners are, are East Coast based, but that being said, uh, if you are in the area, uh, I am doing that show on the 25th, and so you can definitely come out and, and have some fun there. But um, it's just great. It's a totally different side to to to, to baseball. It's it's completely different. Um, I love it. It's it's just tons of fun, um, and you can actually listen to that. Or if you're wrestling fans. Uh, it's the YouTube channel PPW Petaluma. Uh, we we have all of our shows up there, and you can watch it there. So, uh, but it's a it's a blast. I love doing it, and uh, you guys can definitely tell the difference between that and my baseball podcast uh, a little bit. So, a lot of fun, without a doubt. Who who's the main event next week? Um, so it's his name is Bobby Hart. He's our, our champion. Uh, he's been around for over a decade or so. Worked mainly out of the Sacramento area and the Central California area, and he's facing a, a young uh, guy named Manny Mars who uh, wrestles out of a, a place called Gold Rush, which is down there in the San Francisco Peninsula area. And so he won a, a match for the number one contendership last month, and he's coming back. Um, to uh, to face off against Hart, so uh, it's that's kind of the main event. But the other the other big match uh, features a couple of guys who maybe people have heard of. One in particular, his name is Jeff Cobb. He's wrestled on the independent circuit for a while, uh, and Jr. Kratos. Both of them, I think, got WWE uh, tryouts at one point. Um, they're going to be wrestling in the semi main event. And those guys um, are two two of the bigger names in the Bay Area when it comes to to pro wrestling and so it's really cool to to see them uh kind of be there from the start with phoenix pro wrestling so that's very cool i've got to check them out that's exactly what i'm going to do as soon as we get yeah. off the air so uh final question yeah. you mentioned the wwe a second ago uh big pay-per-view on sunday night we've got uh yeah. double main event double title match seth rollins uh i got to get your predictions yeah yeah, um, I'm, I'm actually interested. This kind of goes along um, the same. I think it's this weekend or next week. One of the two uh, Ring of Honor, which, yeah. you know, Jay Lethal has the same thing going. Right. And That's so tonight, I, I think this. it's really cool that this all of a sudden, like the best wrestlers got two titles. And now the question's like, oh, you know, what's he going to do? Um, I think it would be really cool to, to see Sting win it. I think that him getting at least one run with a WWE championship would be uh, kind of great to, to kind of thank him for, for coming back and, and doing what he's done. Um, I don't know if they have it in them to push it out to another pay-per-view. So I, I kind of feel like it's either going to be like a Sting win and then he loses it the next night on Raw or if they just decide to push Seth in another direction. Um, But what sucks is that you can't really have him lose the U.S. title and then go on and win the world. So it's kind of tough, right? You don't know how to kind of put that. So um, I kind of have a feel like he's going to win both uh, matches in kind of nefarious ways, which will be fine. Um, But 
they're going to have to figure out a way to to get the the U.S. belt off of him and then have him transition back into to more world title. Uh, and I don't know if it'll happen at this uh, pay-per-view, but I think they'll have to do it by Survivor Series. So my official prediction is he'll win both matches um, by nefarious ways. But if he lo- I'll say this: if he loses the U.S. title, he is losing the world title. I, I think he's he's he, he can't have one or the other. He's either going to have both. Or he's going to have none. All right, I'm going against you, and I've got a theory. I've got Seth winning the first match of the okay. night against Cena okay. and keeping the U.S. title. As soon as the match is over, Sheamus comes down, cashes in, takes the world title off of Rollins, and now you've got Sheamus and Sting in the, title, in the main event that night. Sting goes over Sheamus, and now you've got... Seth Rollins wanting a, tie, a rematch the next night, and he takes it from Sting at Raw Monday. That's actually not a bad way to use Sheamus, too, yeah. in and that And then you situation. get Sheamus to go away so, for a while. All right. He needs to I, go I, away. I, and yes, I've put way too much you, thought you're, into you're, this. <laughs> you're, you're a better booker than I am, Ryan. So, um, but, uh, but yeah, it, it's interesting. I, I am, though, um, I, I'm a huge NXT guy. I'm, I'm a big fan of NXT uh more than the WWE product nowadays, um, but the, they just announced uh, Sasha Banks Bailey as an Iron Woman match on October the 11th for their next um, uh, WWE Network special. So, uh, I mean, too goodness, there's there's some really good wrestling going on. Ring of Honor is doing well, NXT is doing well. Uh, I got the PPW stuff going on, uh, so it's been it's been really cool for wrestling in 2015, and uh, I'm, I'm glad to see that it's getting more of a following in a lot of different ways, and it's becoming kind of this uh, um, very very fallible, very easy to ingest product, and I'm very happy that uh, it's it's been going good for as long as it has in 2015. So good stuff all around. I agree. I think Bailey and Sasha first time around was the match of the year, so hopefully they can equal it yeah, better yeah. next time. Well, Tim, uh, I think maybe this yeah. is a good place to uh, wrap it for this uh, this time. I'm sure we'll have you on again, but uh, love to give you sure. a spot here for your plugs where people can find you on Twitter. If you want to plug uh, your organiz- your wrestling sure. organization, whatever you want to plug, just plug away. Sure. Okay. So I'll just get um, I'll get my personal plugs out of the way. So at Mr. Tim Livingston on Twitter and Instagram, uh, you can find me on Facebook too. Just Tim Livingston. Um, uh, it's uh, it's I'm the big guy with the duck face and the Blue Jays jacket. Um, <laughs> and then when it comes to Phoenix Pro Wrestling at PPW Petaluma on Twitter and Instagram and on uh, YouTube as well. PPW Petaluma Facebook page is Phoenix Pro Wrestling. Um, and uh, you can find it there. And then, of course, the Stompers. Uh, please visit StompersBaseball.com. Follow the Stompers at Sonoma Stompers on Twitter and on Instagram. Find the Sonoma Stompers Facebook page. Um, all that good stuff. Still have merch available. Uh, very good stuff still available from 2015. Uh, so head on out uh, to StompersBaseball.com and, and you know fire it up. And if you want something shipped to you, please do. Um I'm not sure if there's any events coming up like we had with the Sabre Seminar where we had stuff available. Um, but if there's anything along those lines where Brett, who's now the kind of the sales guy for the for Baseball Prospectus, if something does come along, uh, we'll definitely let you know. 
uh, and uh, we we hope that you guys continue to obviously follow the you know the Stompers right along with Ben and Sam, and the anticipation for the book is growing. And so I just want to personally say thank you to everybody who supported us, everybody who's helped me out with the broadcast, especially you know, Ryan, everybody else. Um, uh, it's been great, and I really can't wait to see. Uh, what this all comes into uh, uh, with that book and, and what this means for the future of the Stompers and for everybody involved. So just thanks to everybody, and uh, I appreciate, Ryan, you having me on your show. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, it's been a great pleasure. It's been fun watching the Stompers from the you know all the way on the East Coast this season, listening to you online, and uh, it was great seeing the uh, Stompers represented at Sabre Seminar as well. So uh, thank you so much for coming on. I hope to have you on uh, here in the near future. I definitely will. Thanks, Ryan. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. And that was episode 33 of the Banish to the Pen podcast with Tim Livingston of the Sonoma Stompers. Uh, I really want to thank him. That was a great near hour of baseball talk. It really gave me a lot of insight into indie league baseball and gave me a little background into what Ben and Sam were doing this summer, which was kind of nice as well. So thank you to him. Uh, I hope to have you back on the show very, very soon. Uh, one more thank you, if I could. I want to give a special thank you, as I do each week, to everybody that contributes at Banish to the Pen, whether it's the writers, the editors, the people in behind the scenes, the people that are writing in, in front of you all. Just thank you to everybody, because it's a, it's a labor of love, and, and we really do put out a great product every week and every day, frankly. So, And, and Ken, you know, our faithful leader, just a thank you to him, because he does a great job, you know, kind of managing everybody and keeping us on our toes. So... Thank you, guys. I am Ryan Sullivan at NatsGM.com on Twitter, reminding you, be nice to your fellow listeners.